uh, verses uh, 21 through 25. Uh, we covered this a little bit sort of in the immediate context dealing with how Adam is uh, given this sort of vision or, or put to sleep, if you will, uh, and wakes up, and if you will, and he's, there's his wife, and there's his woman, and, and, and this marriage is, is given and how uh, God unites these two together. And then we end it off with verse 25, and we'll pick this back up tonight where they're both naked, he and his wife are unashamed, and they are now married. And things are great. It's a perfect marriage because they're perfect people in a perfect place. Sin has not yet entered in, but we're knocking on the door of it. It's getting ready to get bad. Because as soon as you get about seven, eight verses into chapter three, everything just goes downhill. And it literally has gone downhill since then. So I want to read tonight verses 21 and 25. And I want to start off by saying this as well. That this week, and if this does progress into next week as well, which we never know, um, we never know. <laughs> But um, I want to encourage you that this is not just for those who are married or want to be married or have ever been married. This is for all of us to really understand what it means to be male and female, what it means to be a biblical husband, father, wife, and mother, what it means to be a, a biblical human being made in the image of God and to live as image bearers for God's glory. Um, these things, whether you're married or not, have ever been or not, to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter because we're facing a day that is attacking these very truths that we have got to understand are, number one, established by the biology of which God has created us in order um, and in the way that he has made everything, but as well spiritually, that these days we are finding this to be an incredible spiritual attack, um, and it's going to get worse. And I'm going to share a little bit about that tonight. I even wrote a little, little sticky note tonight there. But uh, I want to read for us verse 21 through 25 tonight, and we're going to get into a little bit about uh, this. Uh, it says, verse number 21, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And, said, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, two become one. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, so far this ends chapter number two, but you see in chapters one and two, if everything that is alive that God has created, he makes them literally male and female for a reproductive purpose to be fruitful and to multiply. It is orderly. It is the way in which God has made things. It is the way he made them biologically to work in ecosystems and in order to, to have this planet thrive and to be uh, so glorious and so beautiful and as well ultimately for mankind. Then we see in chapter 2 how it comes to this place where he allows Adam to use his intellectual and logical ability which he gave to him when he's made. And by the way, each of us do have uh, that from God. It is what truly does separate us uh, at least just one portion of what separates us from being just another animal. We don't just act on, on instincts. We, we have logic and rational thinking. And the reason why we would say today that we don't have it so much anymore, we would say phrases like common sense isn't so common anymore, right? Right? Y'all said it before, right? Uh, the reason why we say that is because we look around and it does not seem so common. The reason why is because that is a part of the judgment of, of God. And I firmly believe so. And I believe... Tonight we won't be able to, but ask me some other time, and you can truly trace that all the way throughout Genesis through Revelation. And this is a product of what sin does. 
It leads to a, a reprobate mind, a mind that is no longer able to have logic, rational thought, able to problem solve, to think through things. It is a mind that then forgets what it means to be human. It's a mind that rejects what it means to be made in the image of God. It is a mind that totally rejects God, His Word, His law, the order of things. It is a mind that what Romans 1 tells us sees the creation, understands that there's a creator, but instead worships the creation instead of the creator and represses the truth and unrighteousness. To repress something means to literally to push down. Uh, to, to repress something to help give us a picture um, when y'all were a kid, right, here went to the lake or swimming hole, creek, uh, pool, whatever, and, and you ever played Duncan game? It's not, I don't even know what the official name for that game is called, but it's where you try to hold somebody else <laughs> underwater, and, <laughs> right? And you're flailing, you're fighting in the pool. That's what happens, right? If you got the real name for it, let me know afterwards, okay? But it's where you dunk each other in, right? Until the other, until mom yells at you, somebody yells at you, right? And you got to stop. It's literally to, to push down, to try to, to hold down, to keep from coming up is the, is the idea of repression. So that is what a reprobate mind does. Now, the reason why we build all this and show this is because what we've been talking about in this whole passage, and really the title of your booklet there, that's there, the home, the heartbeat of humanity, because it is the heartbeat of humanity. Because I believe that the home, um, and, and not just the individual, but the home itself, the family, the traditional biblical family is at the heartbeat center of who God is and how he has made mankind. It is ultimately the, the greatest form and picture of what it means to have deep, meaningful uh, covenant relationship. And unfortunately, we have to stop and we have to define what covenant means and how deep it is because we no longer make covenants, right? The strongest covenant you guys might even think of is when you're a kid and you make a pinky promise, right? You can't break a pinky promise. I mean, you're not allowed, especially if you cross it, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? All that stuff. You can't break those things. But when we're talking about covenants for, for this day and age of the, those who are reading Genesis for the very first time, as Moses is writing, as Moses is reading all these things, they know what it means to make a covenant because for them it literally is, regardless of the covenant that they're making, it is until death do you part. It is very sincere. It is they're putting their entire life on it, right? It is like when we're a little kid and you say, swear on it right? And you debate on that, and that's fine, whatever. But when you're a little kid, you go, right, it's, you swear on, on your bicycle, right? You swear on your dog, right? All these things that mean something to you. And because for them to keep and make a promise did mean something. And so when we talk about the family, there is a covenant relationship where husband and wife have covenanted together that it wasn't just words that the preacher man said or just that the piece said, till death do you part, better for worse, richer for poor, just because it sounds good. It means those literal things. It is a promise, a literal till death do you part, and it better be death first till you part. It is very serious, and this is how God ordered this. And then for those parents then to bring a child into the world, they are now covenanting together and promising each other that they're now going to raise this child and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and that they will not forsake their relationship for that child, but they will not forsake that child for the things of this world and for the things around them, for their careers, for their hopes and their dreams, that their life is no longer their own. It belongs to one another. That is how the families to operate. Now, how many families operate that way? Unfortunately, very few. And even of that very few, they're still not perfected. Right? I have yet to find a perfect family. If you find it, come adopt us, right? <laughs> adopt the rest of them. But they're not there. 
is not there. And the reason why is because Genesis chapter 3 comes into play. Sin comes in, and the moment sin comes in, these, these promises get broken and everything else. But I say all this to begin tonight before we really get into what this booklet has and this sort of outline here. But I want to begin. It says, uh, marriage and family, a biblical marriage and a biblical family are the building blocks of the Scripture, human history, and a civilized society. As goes the home, so goes the society. Now, with the home, it's not just dealing with what it means to be married, what it means to have kids, but it, it also entails what it means to be an individual made in the image of God, right? The husband, the, the father, has to know who he is as a man, what his roles, responsibilities are, his own nature, his own problems and his own issues, right? Because what the man does, and as we're going to see it in chapter 3, is he's going to blame the wife. But on the other side, the wife has to also understand her roles, responsibilities, gifts, talents, and things of where she uh, plays into this. And, and they look at each other, and as they look to Christ, they, they cr- come closer together. And, and then for the children to then understand their place. You ever wonder why the Bible tells parents how to raise their kids and children how to be good children? It's because this is so important to God. But if each individual does their part, it makes the family stronger. However, those kids need the parents, husband, wife, father, mother, to do their job to teach them what it means to be made in the image of God. A kid's not going to know these things unless they are truly taught and discipled, and they should be exposed to the Scriptures at such an early age. There's not too young a time to pray with your children, to read the Bible with your children, to disciple your children. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest folks that have ever been used in Christian history have been those who have been saved and known Christ from such an early age. I think about this man named Timothy. How about him? Right, from an early age, he has known the Scriptures because of the strong uh, women in his life and, and, and the strong influences within that household of which he grew up in. Even Moses and, and many others throughout the Bible, uh, perhaps even, even you tonight, right? I, I don't know your whole story, your whole background, but that very well may have been you, how, how you grew up. Now, the reason why this is so important, as goes the individual, as goes dad, and and, and especially dads, because to be honest with you, we could have a whole other sermon on the importance of of being a a godly man and father and husband, because what we have found over the past 80 years in our own society is as the men have left the homes or have uh, lost their jobs, become uh, addicted to a multitude of addictions that are available now, in the home and outside of the home, is that the homes have been absolutely ravaged and destroyed, and young people are growing up without their fathers. They have no direction. They have no drive. They have nothing to look up to. They have so little. Chances are, I mean, as soon as, as, soon as that goes away, the influence, the, the chances literally go from this to a kid doing great things to, to, to this. Now, it does not mean it doesn't happen, because I firmly believe that um, we might not all have the same outcome, but you, if you're alive, you got an opportunity. You can make of your life what you choose to, so we can't just blame mommy or daddy. However, the issue is this. We need a strong, biblical mom and dad in the home. And so what is happening today, and I wanted to address it first tonight. It's not in your booklet, so this is all, it's all free of charge tonight, and you're welcome, okay? All right, so y'all tip, tip your waiter and waitress on the way out, okay? But tonight I wanted to address this. There is an attack on the biblical home. And it's not a, an attack of just saying, 
you know, traditional marriage is just an option, or the biblical marriage or idea of male, female, and sexuality, and gender, and all these things, it's just a it's just another option. No, it is, it's now at the point in our society, and not just as a society in America, but I'm talking about this is happening on a global scale, where it's not that that is just an option, but rather it's becoming aware, no, that should not be the end-all, be-all. That is not even a good option, right? The best option is to be whatever you want to be. I want to go ahead and crush your dreams tonight and let you know you cannot be whatever you want to be. All right? And it's not because I feel that way. It's because God clearly uh, states it. From Genesis to Revelation and in the created order, you are made as you are meant to be made. God truly does not make mistakes. Now, there would be some in the pop culture who would say, who are certainly waving the rainbow flag of the LGBTQ plus uh, agenda, who would say, I'm born this way, right? The popular hit song from many of you guys probably don't know, Lady Gaga several years ago, the great hit that she had that was so promoted and latched onto by a younger generation that, uh, that God makes no mistakes. I'm born this way, and God does make no mistakes, but guess what? He did not make you to do what you are doing. What you're doing is you are committing idolatry of the heart by rejecting being made in the image of God and to be an image bearer of God, to live a holy life, to live according to how God has made you and formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. So you're rejecting that. So what you're doing is you're saying no to God who has made you the way he made you and for the purpose of which he made you. And now you're making yourself God by saying, I get to decide what I want to be. I get to decide who I am. I get to decide what I look like. And I get to decide all these things. That is idolatry of the heart, which, of course, then, when you have idolatry, it then leads to the immorality. We don't have immorality first. Idolatry happens first. Well, the moment that we make ourselves God, which is, by the way, not the moment that we make ourselves a, a, this sort of literal, physical idol like a, a Nebuchadnezzar statue. I'm talking about we do that in our own heart the moment we deny God's word. And so there's been such an attack for at least the past 130 years or so on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which truly is the foundation of all of Scripture and all of every single doctrine that is found in systematic theology is found here. And as we've been studying over the past however many months and however many lessons through this, that it is even found in these building blocks in the first two chapters that we've dealt with. I want to present to you tonight two things that are of, of grave concern and issue for our day. Now, I want you to know these two things are not something that makes us go, oh boy, uh, this is so bad, how are we ever going to get through it? But rather this goes, we better wake up, all right? First of all, the C-4 bill, which has been passed now already, uh, this past uh, early December, I believe it was, in Canada. Now you say, I'm not Canadian, this doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. And here's why this matters, because Canada, like uh, the United States, would say that they are a free nation, a free country, a uh, this sort of, you know, they got their own little brands and things, right? Everything they do has got a touch of maple syrup and hockey and stuff. But you know what? They've got their own thing, but they are a very free state, a very free country. They, they have all these things and, and, you know, all that. It's great. Fine. But guess what? Here's what they've passed. They've passed a C4 bill, which is, as we're going to see here in just a moment, basically equivalent to what we have in the United States that's trying to be promoted, has been being promoted and pushed hardcore for the past few years called the Equality Act. We'll deal with that in a moment. But first of all, the C4 bill in Canada, it is a broad bill that has been accepted now to promote the LGBTQ plus quote-unquote rights 
um, that could ultimately criminalize those who speak against it. Now, specifically, the bill uses language against, um, against this sort of what they would call a therapy to reassign you or to make sure that you are being, um, you know, it would be like this. Someone says, hey, I'm struggling with homosexual thoughts, and we say, hey, that's not a good thing. Let's talk about that, right? Let's look at what God says. They would look at that and say, well, that's conversion therapy. That's not right. That's against the law. That's a hate crime. Uh, that is illegal. Now, what they've done is this. They um, have not certain, not in, in certain terms, but in a broad way, they have made it broad enough in this bill to where those in Canada who will be preaching and teaching what the Bible says, or even in one-on-one street evangelism, or even evangelism in your own household, say a a father has a, a son or a daughter come home and say, you know, uh, today I, I just feel like I, I'm no longer your son. I'm your daughter, and here's my new name, and that's what you have to call me. And that dad says, uh, no way, Jose, let's talk about this thing, right? And says, here's what the Bible says. We need to talk. Then what's going to happen is the state takes the side of the child no matter what. The parents lose their rights. And, and what is happening is that this is a total disillusionment, a total abandonment of not just the scriptures, but of rational thinking. And now it puts those who would simply hold a biblical view, um, it makes them look like they are hate mongers. It it brings them into the place where even eventually it could be used uh, as as criminals. Can you imagine such? Now, this is Canada. Remember, this is still the same Canada, by the way, that has locked up pastors just for having services um, in the middle of the past two years, all right? And those pastors, by the way, were just in keeping their doors open, and I wish more would have done so. That's a different story. But it goes right on al- along the line. The moment we give the government more reach and to be able to say that we have to do what they say when that goes against the Bible is the moment that we do what the Bible says to do and we say it is better to uh, obey God rather than man. Every single time. And we must have that in our mindset. Because here's now in America, the Equality Act. Um, how many of you guys, first of all, by show of hands, have heard of the Equality Act? All right. The rest of you guys are probably not watching the news a whole lot. And I don't blame you a bit. Here's the Equality Act. And here's what matters. First of all, let me do another show of hands. All right. This is class participation tonight. All right. It, if you heard and knew nothing about it and you heard the phrase Equality Act, Raise your hand if you think it sounds nice. It does sound nice, right? I'm not asking you if you know anything about it. it. sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds like it makes everybody equal, right? It sounds very inclusive, right? It sounds very warming. It sounds like, hey, we're, we're all together here. Link arms, sing kumbaya, we're all Americans, right? This is great. Well, here, it's not, all right? Here's what the Equality Act has done. And first of all, it has been promoted. It's been bounced back and forth an awful lot. Um, there was an attempt last year, and I believe uh, early on last year, it was um, accepted in, in, uh, in the House, but it has not gone through the Senate yet. There's been a lot of restructuring of it because y'all know how politicians are, right? What do they do? Right? They might throw in one thing, and then they go, well, we want to throw in some other things, and you know, we'll just read it after we vote it in, right? We've heard that before, haven't we? All right. Now, here's what the Equality Act does. First of all, it is a promotion of the AG- LGBTQ+. Um, in an expansion of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Um, If you've ever worked anywhere, you have probably had to take HR training at the beginning of your job and have had to learn about a few things. 
like the 1964 Civil Rights Act and many others, which is basically a non-discriminatory based upon religion, skin color, economic background, that sort of thing, right? That's a right and a just thing, certainly, because certainly, let's be honest with ourselves and be real, real. In our nation's history, we've had some, some struggles and some issues with that, haven't we? And now, But here's the issue, though. The Equality Act is now placing, uh, and what it seeks to do is to take someone who is choosing, mind you, because they're not born this way. This is a choice. They're choosing a homosexual lifestyle, lesbian lifestyle. Um, They're choosing to reject, as they would call it, the binary system. Um, uh, They are choosing to not be male or female. They're choosing to be whatever they want to be, and that is a choice. Someone who is a particular color or is born into a particular economic background, guess what? They were born into that. They have no choice. They were born with the color pigment of their skin, and that's what they've got. But over here, you choose what you do with your body. You choose with how you feel in your mind. You choose those things. But what the Equality Act does is it puts this on the same page with that, and I'll tell you what that is. It's baloney and hogwash, and they ain't the same things. Now, here's, here's what this does. This as well further undermines the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. All right? Uh, now, what this does here is that act is to basically help protect religious exemption, religious rights. It's a lot of what churches use as well. It's what protects churches to be nonprofit as well as to be uh, able to say what they can and will and will not use their buildings for and things. Those are all biblical things. Those are all um, just things. Um, however, the issue of the Equality Act is it says basically, much like the C4 bill in Canada, is that um, we will have our hands tied is what their goal is to do. Their goal is to be able to allow to where um, if I'm a man and I run track on a college team and I'm not doing too good for the men's division and I decide I feel like a woman, then I get to go run with the women. And if I go win every single race and win every title there is, then I did so as a woman. Congratulations to me. I'm the best woman runner that there has been in college athletes, right? But it's not. All that is is, is playing pretend and it's playing dress up. It's, it's not the real deal. And so this is, it is undermining what God has ordained as roles. It is sexist. It is racist in its ideology and its methodology, and within its practice, it will absolutely lead to more of a demise of the infrastructure of how we operate as an entire society. The reason why I bring both of these up is because both of them are incredibly critical and important. One has already passed. The Equality Act is going to go through a whole lot more back and forth and changes and things. And I don't know right now that it's going to get passed, maybe even in the next year, two or three, maybe even in the next five years be honest with you because right now there has been a turn there's been a few states that have gone red praise the lord for that but guess what politics don't mean that jesus is going to come back and politics certainly won't save our country because to be honest at the very end of the day if there is a nation that i've ever seen that deserves a judgment or is even under the judgment currently of god it is it is our united states we're going to see that not this week because i've already looked at my watch we're not going to get to it but we will get to it next week I believe we need to because the reason why we're spending so much time on these few verses of what it means to be a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, to be a child, to be made in the image of God, to have this home and the structure is because the vast majority over the past 60 years have grown up, now especially the last 20 to 30 years, have grown up in homes that have been broken, that have had a tremendous amount of 
um, influence in, in negative ways in their life. And now we're living in a day in a society that is promoting and pushing and even passing bills like this that is ultimately to give an incredibly small group of individuals who have chosen their lifestyle more rights at the expense of taking those who just hold a traditional value of biblical marriage and manhood, womanhood, and what that means, and says, you can no longer tell this group what you believe, lest it be a hate crime, and ultimately could be criminalized one day. And may we not think that we are so far where that would never happen here. Let me ask you this. Did you ever think that in 2015 it would be brought down by the Supreme Court, the legalization of homosexual marriage? Did anyone ever think you'd see that day? That day should stand out to us. It's an incredibly dark day in our history as a nation because what it did is it took what God had said in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and all throughout the rest of the Bible and said it does not matter. And furthermore, what it does is it takes every other marriage and it says, well, it's all the same thing and it is not. And this is why learning about marriage and, and spending so much time on this, whether you're married or not or plan to be or not, it does not matter. We need to know this because we're living in a day that we are going to have to give answers of why we, of what we believe and why we believe it. Plain and simple. Uh, I'm sure many of you have had those conversations, family reunions, Christmas and holidays, uh, because now you're having a younger generation in your family that thinks totally different than you. It, it is what I call a, a TikTok or Snapchat generation. It's not even the Facebook or MySpace generation like myself and those a little bit before me. This is now the generation of instant gratification, no ability to communicate face-to-face, no desire to communicate face-to-face, and everything that in their life is consumed and based upon something that is not real. It is a post-human, it is even a post-secular, a post-Christian world in which we're living in. And we're going to have to be able to go, here's my line, here's what I believe, here's why I believe it, and that's where I'm at, and I will not move, and cannot move. And, and, and we've got to get to that place because there's going to be a time here real soon where they're going to ask you politely to move for them, and then the next step is to not ask you politely at all. They're just going to want to move you. This movement and the movements that we're seeing in our nation and as well as the world, these things that I just brought up about these bills, it is not a let me ask you politely. It is I'm telling you. This is a militant movement. The issue of the church over the past, I don't know, especially the past 80 years, is that it has ceased to be militant and triumphant. It has ceased to remember the fact that we are called soldiers, that we have armor, and that there is a spiritual battle taking place. And what we have done in America is we have chosen comfort over Christ. And the KMD commentary deals more with this, what it means to be woman and created. And, and let's get into this a little bit tonight. He says, The woman was created... Not of dust of the earth, but from the rib of Adam, because she was formed for an inseparable unity and fellowship of life with the man. And the mode of her creation was to lay the actual foundation for the moral ordinance of marriage. And it is that. It is a moral ordinance. It is a covenant. It is something that is much more serious than what we take it to be. In traditional and biblical homes and marriage perhaps the greatest need of our day and designed for the world given to us by God. Now, Morris then goes on to write, the institution of monogamous marriage, home and family, as the basic medium for the propagation of the race and the training of the young is so common to human history that people seldom pause to reflect on how or why such a custom came into being. 
right, as I have here, then this is what normal should look like. It is good and natural because it comes from the decree of God. It is how God naturally and divinely ordained things to be. Now, I love what Morris writes there. If you'll note, he says the institution of monogamous marriage, home, and family. Mono, singular, one. One of the rising things of our day from certainly this side that we've been talking about is the rise of, of uh, polyamory, all right, is the word. It, meaning multiple partners, and it comes in many different forms. There are those who are throuples, which is a word that has been coined and termed to have um, three people in a partnership, and some even consider themselves to be married. Um, that is a big push right now. And so that comes in several forms. It comes in where there's three women, three men, or there's even one and two or two and one, that sort of thing. All right. That's unbiblical, ungodly, unbiological. It's not marriage. It's not right. It's sin. Okay. Now, this is important. Not only is are we dealing with the issue of monogamous marriage, but the monogamous home. All right. There is we can look back at the the Brady Bunch. Right. We think about that. Okay. Right? Seem picture perfect, but what's happening nowadays is far, far unimaginable, to be honest with you. It is taking multiple homes, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, and goes, well, there's a husband and a wife. They have two kids, but the husband likes other women, and the wife is okay with that, so she branches out to have a boyfriend, girlfriend, and so does the husband, and then they develop a family on this side, and then they come to live together in one home, and now there's multiple families living in one home with a couple of people being sort of this main attraction and idea of that they're sort of the the glue that holds it all together. That is happening, and you you say, well, I've never heard of it. It's there, and is growing rapidly in popularity, um, and it's it's just not, it's not right. See, normal, that, that's not normal. And by the way, it should not be called a new normal. Right? If that's what new normal is, we don't want or need new normal. Now, what we do need, though, is the Bible. All right? We need the Bible. The moment that we leave the Bible is the moment that we get thrust into these things. And that's where we're at as a society. Now, notice this phrase, and I believe it's very important. This is where I'm going to spend a little bit more time tonight, and we'll be done is this phrase, one flesh. This is very important, one flesh. It says, um, therefore, in verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Literally, to, to leave and cleave means exactly what it says. Leave, cleave. Hold on, right? And then eventually the cleave turns into a cleaver, right? And running. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Right? You think about this. We make jokes about that, but it, it's not. It is to leave and to cleave. Why? Because the relationships change, and now, now this is entering into a covenant partnership together, right? Think about this. Any of you guys um, get to pick who your biological parents were? No. No, right? You didn't. You, getting, you didn't get to pick what nest you were going to be hatched into, okay? You just got hatched. That's all you know. You didn't get to pick that. Now, I don't know, this might be a, I hope it's not a trick question. Did you get to pick your spouse? Oh, yes, okay, good. All right, thank you. I was looking, I'm going, oh, you guys got arranged marriages? I mean, we're the only ones here? I, all right, this isn't going to work. But you got to pick your spouse. And hopefully they picked you back, right? That's how this works. That's so it's supposed to be. So what does that mean? I choose you, you choose me, we choose each other, and we keep choosing each other. And the president, and on and on and on and on. 
That's the idea. You, you wake up and you continue to choose each other. Same way you would say as a Christian, you, wake, you either wake up in the morning and decide, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray. Choose that. And, and to make it a habit to do so every day, I've got to keep choosing that every time I wake up in the morning. The same way with your husband, your spouse, your wife, you've got to choose every single day. I'm staying. And I'm committed to, to you, to this relationship, this partnership, to what this means biblically. Now, this is uh, very special here. As a commentator writes, a JFB commentator, uh, they discuss and they say, the human pair differed from all other pairs that by peculiar formation of Eve, they were one. And this passage is appealed to by our Lord as a divine institution of marriage, Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Ephesians 5, 28. Thus, Adam appears as a creature formed after the image of God, showing his knowledge by giving names to the animals and his righteousness by his approval of the marriage relation and his holiness by his principles and feelings and finding gratification in the service and enjoyment of God. Here, ultimately, Adam is not just meant for marriage and to have a helpmeet, but ultimately he's meant to worship and to know God. But then, as his wife is given to him, his job and his role and his calling stays the same, to worship and enjoy and to know God with his wife and to then ensure that she too will do the same. And so as we're going to see into next week a little bit, Adam has been operating as the priest of the garden, if you will, the sort of pseudo early on temple of God, the dwelling place of God. He's there to protect it, to keep it, to make sure it stays pure. And he's supposed to do the same thing with his own heart and then do the same thing with his wife's heart. We'll see this later on next week, but husbands, fathers, we are the ones in our household who are called and given the God-given responsibility, obligation, however you want to put it, opportunity to where it is our job and one day you will stand before God and give an account as to how you raised your children, how you loved your wife, if you led them to Christ, if you taught them to, to know Jesus or not. I firmly believe we will give an account for that. It is the highest calling that you have in your home. It, I would say even that is, is even above making sure that you bust hump to make sure you got two or three cars in the driveway and a great big house and all those things. Those things can wait. The thing that your wife and your kids need the most is, is Jesus. Right? Everything else will one day burn up. Tires go bad. Houses burn down. Houses need replacement. Things get outgrown. Things get outdone. But guess what? Christ lasts and lasts forever. And Guzik writes about this. The idea of one flesh is taken by many to be mainly a way of expressing sexual union. While sexual union is certainly related to the idea of one flesh, it is only one part of what it means to be one flesh. There are also, there are also important spiritual dimensions to one flesh. This is key. Many folks look at this and what happens, especially in little sunny school, is when we teach creation or Genesis to children, we say, we become one flesh, and we say, well, that's a way that we say that mommy and daddy love each other, and they, you know, express it, right? It's more than mommy and daddy love each other and show sexual union, okay? You can have sexual union and even in a marriage and still not have love and still not have a true marriage. Sexual union does not mean a thing in ultimately in comparison to some of these other things. It is, it is a portion and a part of marriage. It is a portion and a part of what it means to be one flesh, but only one portion and one part, all right? There's some more here. Husbands are not just one flesh in sexual relationship, but are to be one in all that they do. While they are different in preferences and personalities, they become united together with one mind 
as one body. Two individual lives now become one. Two separate individuals who live their lives for themselves, by themselves, uh, for the glory of themselves, for their own personal hopes, dreams, and aspirations, and all those things, now become one. It's no longer, uh, you know, we, we joke and we say things like, you know, what's, what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine, right? But, but in marriage, guess what? <laughs> it's what's, what's ours is ours and everything ultimately, though, belongs to God, right? The marriage belongs to God. Money belongs to God. God's given us all these things. God gave me you. God gave me the job. God gave us the house. God gave us a car. God gave us groceries. We belong to each other, so let's make sure we keep it in such a way. Here's what happens. There's a real danger in this. And we're going to turn here in just a moment, or at least I will. I'll keep, let you all stay here. Um, what, what happens is this. In many a marriage, in many relationship, is that they come together and they stand there and they, they hold hands right at the altar and they have their pretty little wedding and they say all their pretty little vows. And then about two years into it, they go, you know, I spent all that time in college to go and do all these things and to be all these things. Now you want me to, you want me to make dinner? You want me to sweep up after you? You want me to do this? You, you want me to do this? <laughs> you want me to follow you? You're, you're, a, you're a dummy. You can't even put your socks in the, in the hamper. Right? We've heard these things. Let's not pretend we haven't. These are real life things. But guess what? Your life ceases to be your own the moment you say, I do. Your life now belongs to them and their life belongs to you. And guess what? You're together now. It is no longer as if there is this and this person in their own lives, in their own world. It is now, you are now coupled together forever, right? You cease to be peanut butter by yourself and jelly by yourself. Now you're peanut butter and jelly. Right? You're, you're just short up PB&J. Right? That's it. That's you. You are together now. You, where, where one goes, the other's there. Right? When one is in something, the other one is, is there. The, the two bodies, the two lives become now one body, one life. Now, I'm going to turn here for just for a sake of time for, for myself. You guys stay put. Philippians tells us a little bit about this, and this is important here. And you say, well, what does Philippians have to say about marriage? Well, it doesn't give us those exact words, but certainly it tells us what it means to have two come into one, uh, to have one mind here. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem better than themselves. We're going to talk about marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling right here. Take them to Philippians chapter 2. Right? This is not just for the church. It's not just for business meetings. This is for husband and wife. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Goodness gracious. Right? You mean i got to stop living my life for me the moment I get married? Yes. That's exactly what that means. It means now you're living it not just with that person. You're not just existing in the same household. That's why the reason why many people just choose to shack up because they don't have to commit to marriage. They can keep their own accounts. They can keep their own bills, keep their own lives. They just come home together, uh, eat together, share the same Netflix account, and, and that's about it, right? It helps them on their taxes, maybe help, helps them with some credit and buying things. That's not a marriage. That's just living together. 
That's not biblical. It's not right. He then says in Philippians 2, look not every man on his own things. Yeah. Boy. How many marriages? More marriages. I know this is tough. We'll get through this. More marriages fail because of verse number 4 here than they do for adultery. Look not every man on his own things. Selfishness. Pride. Living of one's own life. Living for one's own wishes and dreams. But look every man also in the things of others. It no longer matters where I want to eat all the time. It matters where my wife wants to eat. And her favorite restaurant, like everyone else in here tonight, is I don't know, I don't care. Except for wherever you pull into, right? <laughs> right? Amen. Praise God for how Taco Bell, right? Amen. It works. It's a happy medium. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ humbly sacrificed and gave himself away to sinners without expecting anything else in return. And so when you stand at the altar and you say, I do, I do, do you do, you do, we all do, great. What that is saying now is I am going to love you like Jesus and my life is no longer mine, it belongs to you and and we're in this together. So we have to be able to define marriage. And marriage is important. And the reason why is because since 2015, marriage has included anything that anybody wants to be. And you might think it sounds silly, but there are those who genuinely want to be able to marry inanimate object, uh, objects. They, they want to marry their vehicles. They want to marry trees. They want to marry multiple partners. The reason why marriage in the home matters in defining what these things mean is because they only mean one thing to God. What he has defined them is what they are. And so when we leave that definition, when we leave that role, when we leave what it's supposed to be, this is the shape we find ourselves into. I've talked with many of pastor friends about this, especially one in particular, and him and I share a lot of the same views. Him and I both feel like incredibly old, old, old school men of, you know, 1700s. We feel like we're wearing pilgrim hats and stuff half the time, but... <laughs> When we look at the society and we see, we we say something to each other all the time that we both feel that everything, it's like overnight a light switch happened and everything changed, the world changed, and it's progressively gotten worse. And you go, I can't put my finger on, on where it happened. I don't have chapter and verse for it. But in our nation, we've certainly said that, him and I have said the past five to ten years, it's all changed so quickly. And I believe we can bring that to a date. And that date was... In the summer of 2015, when our Supreme Court said marriage, gender, sexuality can be whatever you want it to be. Marriage is marriage. Love is love. And no, it's not. And since that moment, we are not able to define these things. How do we go forward? Right? How, 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 do we, how do we turn it around? The issue is this. We are certainly facing dark days and they're going to become even more evil because they've progressively and exponentially and more rapidly gotten worse and worse and worse. I would love to tell you they're going to get better. I would love to tell you, hey, you know what? Vote the right way. It it hasn't. It's been proven to show that. So what do we do? We do what the Bible says. We define marriage and sexuality for what it is. That we, each individuals, we realize 
our role personally, whether married or not, how we fit into this. And we live according to how God has called us to live. So if you're a married woman, be the married woman that God has called and commanded you to be in the Scripture and gives you opportunity to be and do it to the glory of God. Why would you not want to be a good wife? Husbands, how about this? Same thing for you. Be the man that you're supposed to be. be I'll, I'll say this, right? And this is for me too. This is for me, all right? Be the man you want your wife to follow. All right? Wives, it's, it's there. Kids, right? There. Be that. Parents, be the parents you want your kids to love, respect, and to honor, and to want to be like one day. Said, well, they too. There is nothing sweeter than hearing a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, I, and I've heard this before, very rare. And they say, I want to be a daddy. Or I want, I want to be a, a mama. And you say, oh, wait, that's sweet. It is sweet. Because they recognize, that's just the ghost. That's fine. Yeah. That's the Holy Ghost coming in here. Amen. Uh, but what that is, it is something sweet that shows that they have a deep desire, that they understand that it's a high calling. And it is. Whether you are a mom or a husband or whatever you are right now in this place today, even if you're unmarried, whatever, be who God has called you to be according to the Scripture and do so, right? Clark writes about this, and, and we'll end here. It shall be considered as one body having no separate or independent rights, privileges, cares, concerns, each being equally interested in all things that concern the marriage state. Many a marriage would have been spared and would be spared and will be spared if they'd get a hold of that. Many relationship, the same. There's no one perfect here tonight. I would love to be able to say I'm preaching as a perfect pastor, perfect husband, and all those things, and tell you how great it is and how perfect it is and how there's hope for you too. Guess what? It, I'm just as sinful and have just as terrible days as a, as a husband and as a pastor. Just like you. But the great hope is this. That with each day we have the choice and the opportunity to decide if we are going to submit ourselves to the Lord and to His Word. And I believe that by God's strength and by God's grace, through a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of patience and a whole lot of perseverance through the tough days, both that we make and that our spouses make as well for us, that we will be better husbands fathers we will be better wives and mothers that will we we will see stronger homes and stronger churches may that be our heart's desire in prayer and tonight that's where we're going to close and next we'll pick up with some more of this as we we get towards the end of this and we're going to see more next week about how the home is to operate <laughs> We're going to see how we got to where we are today in our nation and why it, and why it matters. All right? Let's pray tonight, and I, and I appreciate you. Lord, we come to you this night. God, I thank you for each one that's here. I'm grateful that we can study your word. Lord, there's so many things that we could certainly be praying about, concerned about. Lord, our hearts should be concerned, God. My heart should be concerned. Lord, for decades now, our nation and our churches, our pastors, our husbands, our fathers have chosen have chosen comfort, have chosen our own selves, we have chosen our own things and wants and wishes over 
over having one mind, one body, over serving you, over submitting to your word, submitting to one another, to love one another. Lord, we've forsaken all those things so that we could make ourselves our own little idols and our own little gods. Lord, forgive our idolatrous hearts and ways. Lord, our, our churches and our pulpits have, have played the harlot. God, we have left forsaken your word in our homes. Uh, there's more dust on Bibles. There's no more family altars. There's, our homes are a wreck. Our hearts are in wrecks. But Lord, the worst part about it is most of us don't care near, near enough about it to do anything. So God, I pray that you'd help us to go from this place tonight, not going, woe is me, it's too late, but rather going, Lord, now's the time and now's the opportunity to live as you've called me to be and called us to be according to your word. And God, that we would submit our hearts first, that we would not expect our spouses or our children to be perfect or to do more than what we're willing to give in and what we're willing to do ourselves. Lord, help, ourselves, help us to, to be able to look in the mirror, to be able to truly examine ourselves, examine our lives, to examine our hearts, and to make sure that we're right before you. And Lord God, I pray that you would do a, a work in every heart here tonight. Lord, not just those who are married, but those as well who are unmarried to see that, that you have made us in your image. You have made us to, to stand for what is true, for what is right. And, and Lord, that I believe firmly that there are many who are, who are unmarried who can give some great godly counsel to those who are married to see things with fresh eyes and ultimately to see things with a biblical worldview to, to show them, get back to the Bible. And God, that's what we need to get back to your word. Lord, help us to do that tonight. And God, that while we might not ever see our nation return to what we would like it to be, certainly though, God, we can see our own homes turn to what they should be. And Lord, our churches might grow stronger and might be used of you. God, I pray that you would help each one of us tonight. Keep us safe as we go about our day, and Lord, that you would use us and help us meditate on the truths of your word, and God, to be able to stand as you've called us to stand and stand in the days that are going to be increasingly more difficult. Lord, help us draw the line. Help us to not draw a line and to, to, to stand on preference or opinion, but Lord, rather to stand on your word. Lord, you alone and your word is a solid rock of which we can stand, and everything else truly is sinking sand, God. So help us stand for truth. Help us to preach truth not just with our words, but as well with our deeds and our life. And Lord, to love you and to love others. God, we thank you for this time. Watch over us now and go before us. In Christ's name, amen. Y'all have a blessed night. We'll let you know.